You're listening to the ghost of Dog on the Voice of Dog. Tonight's story is A Lesson in Hauntings by Rob McWolf, who might have just taken the excuse to speculate about applied metaphysics. You can find more of his work in In the Light of the Dawn and other anthologies from the Furry Historical Fiction Society or at his Sofurry Gallery. Read by Yugen, Wolf of Wanderlust. Special Deal, Midnight Ghost Town Walking Tour. Explore the abandoned and haunted, allegedly, mining town of Bittersands. Get some local history and a good scare, if you dare. Students eligible for special discount. These three students, especially. And we don't doubt the experience will be very educational. If they pay sufficient attention to A Lesson in Hauntings by Rob McWolf. So, uh, suppose I can take it for granted that y'all are interested in ghosts. Eli faced away from the group. The flashlight in his paw illuminated nothing but the dust of what had once been the town of Bitter Sands. Who else, Ben said, signs up for something called Midnight Ghost Town Tour. <laughs> the Bobcat and the Roadrunner, Ruth and Gwen from history class, gave that one an encouraging laugh. The jackrabbit who'd arrived in the rusted old pickup, technically speaking late, had introduced himself as Elias, but call him Eli. Even though they'd been expecting a guide named Joel, didn't seem to find it so witty. Interested how? Like, you wanna understand what a ghost is? Or you wanna have yourself a good fun scare messing around in the scraps of what used to be somebody's life? Well... When you put it like that, Gwen muttered under her breath, then spoke up. What can you tell us about what a ghost is, mister? Oh, I've learned a thing or two. Eli waved them forward, in between the sun-grayed wooden skeletons that had once been buildings. Homes, shops, churches, saloons, who could say anymore? Like any skeleton, death had made them look very much the same. Odd for a tour guide, isn't he? Ruth whispered to Ben. The skink had to agree. Behind them, there was nothing for miles but lightless night, pathless desert, and a bottomless silence of sky. The first thing you gotta understand about ghosts, Eli leaned one leg up on the wreckage of what had once been a whitewashed steeple, is it ain't as simple as just a ghost. A dead soul, you see. That's about as close to being nothing at all as a person can get. In order to be enough of something that you can trouble the living again, you need yourself an anchor. And what kind of anchor you got means what kind of ghost you're showing up as. Ben did his best to think of something intelligent to say, but couldn't do better than, I'm not sure I follow. Well, think about it. Eli cautiously tested the chapel door frame, judged it as stable as could be expected, and waved them in. A soul by itself, without a body, 
that's just a spirit. And a spirit ain't in time. It's in eternity. And that's a fearful thing. Shouldn't... Ben rubbed the smooth scales at the back of his neck. Eternity be good? Say... Ruth had sidestepped the ruin of the collapsed chapel roof, was playing her flashlight under the empty window arches. You suppose there's any chance of finding bits of stained glass? No taken souvenirs, Gwen said sharply. Even if it weren't super disrespectful, that's just begging to get cursed. They wouldn't have been able to afford more in plain windows here anyway, Eli assured them then turned back to the skink. Sure, the soul will last forever, but the mortal mind ain't built for inhabiting just the spirit world and not the material. In its pure state, a ghost can't tell time's passing, can't change or learn anything, can't tell the difference between things as are happening now and things it remembers. Plus, it's got no senses no more just knows by what you'd call direct episteme, instead of seeing or hearing. Mortal mind ain't really built for that, neither. Ben found himself standing at what would have been the pulpit. Through the space where the roof ought to have been came moonlight. Would have been too faint to perceive ordinarily, but apparently they'd spent long enough in this lightless place that his eyes were adjusting. Like a waterfall, high and thin enough that nothing but mist reached the bottom. Not to mention how the living can't really interact none with a ghost what's a pure and eternal spirit. Eli's voice drifted in from outside. So even if they didn't need no anchor to think and tell what's going on, we wouldn't be able to contact the ones as ain't using one kind of anchor or another. Would be like trying to have a talk with a fella standing on the ground while you're riding a ferris wheel. What kind of ghosts, then? Gwen apparently saw an opportunity to shift back to the conversation they'd paid to have. Have been seen here. Here? No sign's been reported here. Maybe counts as consecrated ground and all still. Eli remained outside the front door. Nothing here but history. Some missionary heard tell a mining boomtown didn't have no church yet. Thought it'd be worth trying to get a foothold in. Finished building the church just in time for the claim to bust and the whole place to dry up and blow away. But don't fret. We'll get the proper haunting soon enough. You said ghosts need anchors? Ben tried to think of a way to ask what those were without sounding like he didn't know what those were. What are those, exactly? Eli looked at him like he was supposed to already know what those were. An anchor's just... whatever a ghost's focusing on to keep in touch with the layer of the universe where there's things like place and time. Slack... Like, you ever done any meditating? You mean an anchor is like focusing on your breathing? Gwen sounded skeptical. Or a mantra? 
Something like that, yeah. Except when there ain't nothing to you but a soul, turns out you can focus a lot harder for a lot longer than when you got a body always coming up with distractions. Speaking of focusing, Ruth prodded the freestanding building facade with her flashlight beam. Could you tell us about this place and whether there's a ghost here? Oh, there surely is a ghost here, ma'am. Eli carefully stepped over the remnant edge of a porch toward the empty doorway, beyond which was nothing but dust and ruin. Place had a few names, none of them lasted long. The Evening Primrose, the Thunder Queen, Salty Katie's at the end. All in all, it was open less than 20 years. Still technically a little longer than the town officially existed. There was no floor left beyond the doorway. There were only other walls in the most technical sense. Thistle, tumbleweed, and scotch broom crowded where, once the miners would have gathered for the saloon, the gambling, the brothel, or some combination of the above, depending on how abandoned the town had become. They say sometimes you'll see a woman behind a bar that ain't there no more. She takes a couple bottles, walks around that way, and then disappears. Guess where there used to be a door. Now there's a classic example of an anchor. A ghost focusing on a specific memory from life so hard they keep repeating it. And that's how you get a haunted house? Well, yes and no. A memory as anchor will get you a ghost that stays in one place, because that's where whatever it's remembering happened. A haunted house, or a haunted anything, is when the location itself is the anchor. Difference being, a memory gets you a ghost that just does the same thing forever, repeats the same action the same way. And if anything is in the way, It'll walk right through. Never notice. A haunting, and it ain't just houses, dolls, pictures, people, anything can be haunted, gets you a ghost as is present in the location, can tell what's going on, can react. Eli held firm, serious eye contact till Ben started to feel uncomfortable. But before he could ask what the jackrabbit meant... Eli turned to lead them to the next spot on the tour. This used to be one of the most active spots on the town site. Encounters was being reported even before the place was abandoned. The building would have been squat and compact even when usable. Now the roof was buckling in the center and the entire structure was listing to the left, brittle planks skewed into a parallelogram by the weight of cumulative seasons. What kind of encounters? Ruth had expended all her impatience for anything but ghost stories. Loud banging. Eli gave the corner of the building an experimental touch, judged it firm enough to lean on. Thrown <clears throat> books or chalk. This was the schoolhouse, you see. Though there was never enough population to have many students. Supposedly. The school marm would hear desks rocking back and forth when there weren't nobody in them. 
and after would always come a shelf collapsing or a lunch pail thrown through a window. Got so she'd evacuate the building at first sound of desk rocking. Students would do it on purpose, to get out of lessons, so much that the school shut down even while the town were still alive. And what kind of ghost does that? That's a poltergeist, ma'am. The bobcat, roadrunner, and skink exchanged glances over which would ask what kind of anchor that meant. So what happens when the anchor's in a motion, you see? Eli proceeded regardless. If a ghost can manage to hold on to an emotion from life, then that can just carry on indefinitely. A living person can't stay angry forever. Eventually, you gotta sleep, or eat, or take a piss. And poltergeists don't. The jackrabbit shook his head gravely. Bad business, poltergeists. And not just on account of they's one of the only sorts of ghosts as'll get violent. Also, cause you gotta wonder, what happened to them that they died this angry? The phrase, especially in a schoolhouse, remained unsaid. Ben decided against entering. Not because of ghosts, he prepared to explain. It's just that it'd be so dark in there, the only way to find the inevitable fallen rafters and missing floorboards would be to stumble into them. But nobody asked. So, a poltergeist is using anger as an anchor? Ruth sounded skeptical. Well, not necessarily anger, Eli answered without taking his eyes off the listing schoolhouse door can be any emotion if it's strong enough. Just mostly anger's the one that'll make a ghost do things anybody living'll notice. You do sometimes hear tell of a ghost as do nothing but cry, so that's maybe a different sort of poltergeist. How likely are we to actually encounter this thing here? Gwen asked. Difficult to say. Eli admitted. A poltergeist don't tend to stick around. If the anger or whatever else subsides, it's pretty rare to be able to get it back. Difficult to muster up emotions without no neurotransmitters or hormones no more. That's why you hear about poltergeists just suddenly leaving and never being heard from again. But ain't nothing stopping the same ghost from coming back with Something clattered somewhere in the schoolhouse. They all froze. The jackrabbit fixed his flashlight beam on the doorway, but illuminated nothing within. After a few moments of silence, Eli continued. From coming back with another kind of anchor. One they actually mean to use. Mean to? Ben crept around the corner but things looked no more certain from the side. A ghost don't necessarily mean to have the anchor it's got, Eli said darkly. I'd bet most poltergeists ain't intentional. They just died angry and kept on that way. And I'd bet most haunts is attached to something they knew from their life, 
their house, their belongings, or where they died. Just because that was the first thing as occurred to him. That makes sense, Gwen mused. Otherwise, you couldn't explain ghosts that don't know they're dead. Eli turned to her, eyes wide, brows low. Expression as unreadable as the interior of the ruined schoolhouse. But after a long moment, he said only, We should move on. Ain't likely to see nothing here if we ain't already. Did I offend him somehow? Gwen whispered, under the crunch of underfoot gravel. Neither Ben nor Ruth had an answer. This used to be... Eli had finally brought them to a building he was apparently willing to enter. The stagecoach stop. Was meant to be a telegraph office too, but the town died before they could finish putting up the poles. And this, I'd wager, is where you'll find the anchor for one of the only ghosts around here that's active enough, and consistent enough, so as you can put a name to him. Bloody Hernando. The roof of the building was gone. The two-story facade still stood, as did the walls. Indeed, it looked as if someone had repurposed rafters as props to hold what was left of the structure close to upright. It felt like a well, beyond the walls of which Ben couldn't be sure whether anything of the world still existed. They say, Eli continued, that if you're driving south on Highway 89, or west on Route 17, and it's after midnight, and you're alone in the car, then sometimes you'll see him on the side of the road. Trying to hitch a lift. Big puma. Dusty clothes. Hat pulled down over his eyes. In her excitement, Ruth had pulled her flashlight to her chest, unconsciously positioned to shine up under her chin, as if she were the one telling this. He won't say nothing if you stop to pick him up, at first. And there won't seem to be nothing wrong with him. Except for his being a big, quiet, unfriendly-looking fucker that you probably shouldn't have let into your car. <laughs> but if you look at him in the rearview mirror, they say, you're gonna see blood pouring down his chest from his throat. Finally getting what they paid for, Ben supposed. Only time he speaks, Eli's voice remained stubbornly neutral, will be to ask you to turn off on the unpaved connector. Y'all would have to have taken it one way or the other to get here. To take him to Bitter Sands. If you don't, he gets out of the car and walks into the darkness. But if you do, then by the time you pull up here, he ain't there no more. Oh! Gwen squeaked and Ben jumped. I know this one! Uh, that's the spectral hitchhiker! A repeated motif in ghost stories, from horse-drawn carts in Europe to a traveling salesman in the suburbs. They give someone a lift, but find they've vanished before reaching their destination. Uh, let's see. It's often a young woman dressed like she's been to a party, implying she was killed at one. Bit patriarchal. 
So I guess the destination is the anchor? You're on the right track there. Eli looked impressed. A spectral hitchhiker is what you call a subtype. And the impressed look shifted into something else. Of a revenant. A thought flashed into Ben's mind, unbidden that if anyone, or anything, were creeping closer to this hollow husk of building, then they wouldn't be able to spot it from inside. This is what them paranormal experts, <laughs> Eli scoffed, is actually talking about when they go on about unfinished business. A revenant is using some kind of task as their anchor. Maybe that's getting revenge, or seeing a crime brought to justice, or making sure their kin is okay. But some of them is more deliberate-like. Take your spectral hitchhikers, Bloody Hernando, for instance. If the thing they're hanging on to is getting someplace, then they can just vanish before they get there. Then the task never gets completed, and they can keep using that anchor, hell, as long as wherever they're trying to get still exists. Someone would have had to move these rafters, turn them into props for the walls, and it wouldn't have been Hernando. So, Revenants, Ruth's voice was all hushed excitement, are staying ghosts on purpose? Well, not all of them. Them as don't know they're dead and get stuck just trying to do, hell, whatever it was they were working at when they died. Those'd count. And there's ones as is determined to get something finished. And the ones that don't want to pass on... Too scared or too sad or too... Well, never mind. But they might very well hold on to some task they know ain't got no ending. The jackrabbit slumped a little, stared at the ground. The only sound was a hoarse exhale of wind-blown sand against the flimsy walls that had once been a stagecoach stop. Before Ben could summon the courage to ask, though, their guide had regathered himself to his task. Anyway, next stop's the graveyard. Something about the darkness was more complete here, more vehement, at the edge of the small graveyard. Ben tried to tell himself it was just that there was nothing for the flashlights to find. He only partly believed himself. So, what kind of ghost? It sounded like Gwen had resigned herself to the kind of tour Eli was determined to give. Do you find here? I ain't seen much here specific, Eli said. But there's a reason for that. You would have had to take Eli's word for it that this was a graveyard at all. Ben guessed that making headstones hadn't been a priority back in the day. It was just the fact that he knew it to be a graveyard that was making the scales up the back of his neck itch. Surely. Before I started giving this tour, the jackrabbit's voice had gone sour and bitter. Kids used to drive up here and mess around. Oh, I don't begrudge them their curiosity, but they'd get into things as weren't safe. Mess with things they oughtn't. And this graveyard was one of their favorite things to mess with. Fucking seances and the like. 
If you're about to bring up Satan, Gwen said darkly. Seances ain't of the devil, ma'am. They's just stupid. Eli clicked his tongue. Anyway, there's one kind of ghost whose anchor ain't something the ghost's doing, and that's what you call a wraith. So when the anchor's some kind of curse or psychic contact or spell, anything that's something in the living world is doing to the ghost. And seances count? Ben hoped he sounded puzzled enough to not sound scared. They surely do. Eli shook his head. Damn shame, dragging up a ghost who don't want no anchor, just to satisfy your curiosity. Sometimes they wind up anchored to something else after, as haunts or revenants, just out of being disturbed. I guess we should be glad not to see a wraith, then, Ruth sighed. If you say so, ma'am. Before we hit the last stop, we're getting one thing straight. We are absolutely 100% not going inside. Ben was tempted to remark that wouldn't make much of a change, but the guide sounded in deadly earnest. When they reached the abandoned mine, the skink admitted the jackrabbit had a point. This didn't look like a place anyone should go inside. So far as I understand it, the handful of claims scattered around the side had mostly either dried up or turned out to be duds within a year or two. The only one has had any real amount of ore turned into, Eli nodded toward the dark hole in the end of the box canyon, this. The walk up to the old mine site had been longer than Ben had expected, but he couldn't have said how long. Perhaps because it was several hours past midnight, perhaps because he was disoriented with peering into the darkness... Possibly because he'd spent so long in this abandoned town that his mind was just exhausted. But he almost felt he'd been here years rather than hours. They say they got less and less ore every year, Eli concluded. Till the place shut down, and then the town weren't far behind. The mine entrance was just near enough that Ben could feel a slight breeze from the hole, into an even more impenetrable darkness. It did not feel like it was breathing, Ben told himself firmly. It does that, he swallowed, cause temperature drops faster outside, at night. What? Ruth said. The wind. What are you talking about? You know what, never mind. Are there kinds of ghosts? Gwen ignored them both. That are more dangerous? Oh, surely so. Eli kept his eyes fixed on the mine. For example, nothing makes a better anchor than life stolen from the living. Usually in the form of blood. Except it don't last. You gotta keep stealing more to stay anchored. Wait! Ruth hissed. Are you saying vampires are ghosts? You can call him whatever you like, ma'am. I ain't never run up on one myself, thank God, and I don't never hope to. I'm just explaining how I've been told it works. If there were a... No, 
Ben thought. He couldn't say vampire. It was too silly. That kind of ghost in there, it wouldn't be safe to go in, then. For the first time, Eli turned his back to the entrance. The jackrabbit's eyes were wide, baffled and frustrated. He swept a look over each of them, like a charades player who's tried every clue more than once and still the guesses grow no closer. But people have died in there, was all he said. He stepped to one side of the path, not quite daring them to go closer to the mine, but not exactly blocking their path either. Ruth and Gwen looked at each other. Then the bobcat and roadrunner turned to him. Ben stared into the mine's abyss. If anything stared back, it was too dark to see it. I mean, it'd be dangerous. It's dark and unmaintained. He was assailed by a deja vu-like vertigo, and a feeling as if unseen schoolyard bullies dared him, called him a chicken for not going in. And there's, like, heavy gases. The skink kept his voice firm by sheer force of will. Going in is just a bad idea. When he turned to Eli, the jackrabbit looked thoughtfully surprised. But he only said, Well, sunrise is going to be soon. Best get on our way. There is one kind of ghost, Eli answered, as doesn't have an anchor. Or more like, doesn't need one no more. They'd returned to the abandoned railroad crossing where the tour had first convened. The access road, from here, wound out into the foothills that they'd driven around when they'd arrived. The railroad was abandoned and overgrown, but the eye still wanted to follow it beyond the implied horizon. Ruth, in apparent attempt to salvage something out of the night, had fully bought into the guide's stubbornness and was asking all the questions about anchors and hauntings she could think of. The jackrabbit had answered in noncommittal monosyllables until she'd asked what would happen if a ghost let go of all their anchors. Some folks call them pilgrims. Some call them seekers. Some folks say they's going through purgatory. Some say transcending instead. Some people call it nirvana, but that there's cultural appropriation. Eli stood on the tracks. Behind him, the eastern horizon had begun to lighten. Jagged mountains and gap-toothed mesas outlined by false dawn in the color of corroded copper. But if a poltergeist's calmed down, or a revenant's got no more unfinished business, or any ghost really and fully realizes what they are and what they're doing to themselves, then they hopefully let go of their anchor and start moving on. To where? Ben asked. The weariness of the night was weighing on him like a blanket, and he felt a calm like that which comes after hours of weeping. To the other side. To deeper regions of the afterlife. Couldn't tell you more than that myself. Not yet, anyway. Eli shrugged. How's the bit go again? The undiscovered country from whence no traveler returns? Something like that. Only ones as could tell you more is them as is gone there. 
Gwen and Ruth looked uncomfortable. Ben couldn't help but be a little moved. Till then, I'll have to keep giving this tour, I reckon. You all travel safe now, you hear? Eli turned and was swallowed into the darkness. The only sign he'd ever been there was the sound of footsteps on gravel, fading with distance. It was a short walk from the railroad crossing to the parking area. He all but told us he was, though, Ruth was insisting. Hun, Gwen sighed at the bobcat's naivety. Even if he had claimed to be a ghost, which he didn't, that wouldn't mean he was one. It was just, you know, showmanship. Like that accent he was doing. <laughs> I don't know, Ben blinked. Weariness was beginning to assert itself as the dawn approached. He was awfully insistent about explaining how ghosts worked, instead of actually giving the tour. So maybe... He scratched the blue scales under his chin. He wanted us to work it out? Like, if he was a... What had the word been? A revenant? And maybe given ghost tours of the town as his anchor? <sighs> Shouldn't he be better at them then? Gwen yawned. Maybe he wants to stop, so he can move on. Ben really just wanted some rest at this point. But he needs people to stop coming on these tours to do that? Or he needs someone to figure it out and say so? Or maybe it was just a disappointing evening's entertainment, Gwen said. Hey, I had fun, Ruth piped up. Gwen smiled and gave her a grateful kiss on the cheek. Well, Ben had to fight to keep his eyes open. Maybe he ought to just nap in his car before he tried driving. I'll see you in class Monday. Take care. See ya. They waved to him. When the sun finally rose, it found the town that had once been bitter sands as empty as it had been for over a century. It took Davis a moment to realize where he was and what had woken him. He'd dozed off waiting on the front porch, apparently. And the sound had been a car door. Uh, how'd it go? The skunk got to his feet and stretched. No better than last year. They still there? They still there. Eli sighed as he dragged his tired feet up the porch steps. A couple of times I thought they were close to realizing, but no. Davis knelt to help his husband struggle out of his hiking boots. Even when you showed him the mine? They didn't go in this time. Well, that's progress. I could have sworn they were about to get it. I could feel it. Eli hissed with frustration. Christ. But I could use a drink. Figured you would. Davis reached into the cooler beneath the porch swing he'd fallen asleep in, produced a bottle of honey bourbon. After a swig, Eli smiled and said, I do love you. Good to hear it. Davis regained his seat beside Eli, put an arm around his shoulders. They sat like that for some time. They watched the sky turn pink, then yellow, then steel blue, and listened to the bird song and cicadas in the sagebrush.
as the high desert woke to life around their cabin. They moved only to pass the bottle back and forth. You sure the whole ghost explanation routine is the best idea? Davis finally asked. I tried everything else, haven't I? Nothing else has come close to working for years. Fair enough, I suppose. Just feel sorry for him, is all. I know. It's a shame, is all. I know. Davis lifted the bottle from Eli's unresisting paw and pulled him toward the cabin door. Well, I expect you'll try again next year. Come on, we both need some rest. Eli and Davis turned to go indoors. The rising daylight illuminated and awakened the patchily verdant hills. The rusted old pickup out front, and all the scraps that, put together, added up to their lives. Around them, there was everything, despite their home's isolation. The smell of fireweed and desert buttercup. The sound of cool breeze through the scrub pines and the topless mountains of sun-saturated cumulus in the sky. This was A Lesson in Hauntings by Rob McWolf. Read for you by Yukin, Wolf of Wanderlust. You can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog, or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Ghost of Dog.